This podcast is brought to you by 06 Duke grad Dave Olverson. Dave recently moved from New York City back to Durham and instantly fell in love with the food, entertainment, and community. He encourages all Duke grads to look at Durham as a place to live. You'll love it. Hey there, Duke fans. Welcome to episode 990. We've been doing this for a while, but we're still loving it. Episode 90 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. I'm your host this week. I am Jason Evans. I am joined, as always, partners in crime. Gentlemen, I will start in Denver, Colorado. Sam Klein, how are you doing? Jason, I am doing well. I am on episode seven of Stranger Things, and uh, I'm very excited to get this show over with so that I can finish. I am only on episode two of Stranger Things. My problem is my wife doesn't watch it. It's She doesn't do the horror kind of thing. And so I have to find time. I have to carve out time by myself to do it as opposed to doing it in conjunction with her. These are the perils of being married to someone who doesn't like Stranger Things. It's just, it's not an easy life. Donald Wine. Hey, Donald, what's your favorite? You're in Washington, D.C. What is your favorite show to to stream, to binge? Uh, well, that's a good question. I haven't really binged anything in a while, except the last one that I binged was Last Chance You on Netflix, which I thought was pretty good. Uh, over the, I did the two seasons there. I'm not on Stranger Things yet. I've seen the first couple episodes of season one. I need to catch up. But tonight is Sunday Night Football. Lions are on. So let's get the show on the road. I know you are a big, big Lions fan. But we are here to talk about Duke basketball because just a couple days ago, for the first time all year, the Blue Devils actually played basketball against an opponent other than themselves. It was an exhibition game, but still, it was a game. We got to see Duke in action against Northwest Missouri State. The Blue Devils won 93-60. to I'm not sure if it was even as close as that um, with like 12 minutes remaining or so when Coach K really called the dogs off. Duke was doubling them. It was, I forget, I want to say the score was like, 78 to 39 or something in that kind of ballpark. But basically Duke had had doubled North, Northwest Missouri State. And it, it's worth noting Northwest Missouri State is a D2 school. This is not a Division I program, which is why it's an exhibition. But as D2 programs go, Northwest Missouri State is as good as it gets. Do you guys know what their record was last year? It 35 incredible. One. Yeah. 35, 35 and one. They were 35 and one. They won the D2 national title. This is as good as it gets at the Division II level. And Duke absolutely manhandled them. I have many notes, many things I can say, but I'm going to start with Sam. Sam, what did you see in this exhibition game? What did you like? What did you not like? So I wanted to start by acknowledging back to our uh, countdown to craziness, craziness review that we did last week. I think that when we were dividing up the players, we um, chose to pick interesting guys who we had probably not talked that much about prior uh, to this season on the show. And so because of that, we didn't really talk about Grayson Allen all that much in Countdown to Craziness. And I saw some comments uh, on the board on the, you know, we post the, the thread about, uh, about each episode. And one of the board comments we got from a couple listeners was that we should have talked about Grayson Allen more. And I think we, we had decided prior that we didn't need to because we all know as Duke fans, what Grayson Allen brings. And um, 
I, I guess that this game was was kind of an even better reminder because Allen was was the star of the show. He made uh, he made five three pointers. He took ten of them. He made twenty three points. Um, he was he was kind of all over the court. He was doing all the good Grayson Allen things and none of the bad Grayson Allen things. So I think that talking about this game, that's where you have to start. Is that he looks polished. He looks ready. He looks in control. And I think that that is healthy, kind of the healthy. best. He looks healthy. healthy. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. All these things are 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 going to be important because as we've noted, Allen is like the only ex- really experienced guy on this team. So he has to be on the floor. Um, and, and he, and he was the other night, uh, looked really good, looked totally fluid. So I think that he was, he was kind of the star of the show. Um, hey, Gary hey, Trent, hey, Sam, Sam, yeah. wait, I want to jump in really fast and just ask you a question sure. yeah, about okay. Grayson Allen. Do you think Grayson Allen was trying his hardest in this game? No. Um, I think that he was, he looked like the most experienced person on either team. And and I know that Northwest Missouri State has a lot of experienced players, but they're not D1 experienced. Grayson Allen, you could tell, was was not exerting to his fullest because he didn't have to. Nobody else on the court is as kind of aware of of Division One game speed as he is. And and I think that that showed, you know, he wasn't he wasn't um like like driving when he when he didn't really have a lane and was trying to create it for himself. So I think that's a good question. And it's a good point that he didn't, um, he didn't try too hard in this game, but he, he will and, one day in this season, yeah. but it didn't uh, happen last night. By the way, I, I, I did not ask that. I do not say that as any kind of criticism, not no. even remotely. No, I think he did what he needed to do, but he also wanted to let the other guys begin to feel themselves out at this level of competition. There, it's, there, not, it's, it's like enough. It's like NFL preseason where you have your stars that, do a couple of series and then they kind of rest while the other guys get used to the speed of this level. And I think that's what he was doing. Like he didn't, he didn't drive. He didn't have a free throw at all because he didn't need to do that. He, he just kind of let the offense come to him. He was very smooth and then let the other guys really get a feel for things. I think that he also let offensive sets develop in such a way that more guys got the ball before he went and attacked. And that's going to be important because he needs he needs everybody else around him to feel comfortable before he, you know, just just starts driving at the hole like a madman, like he's capable of doing and like he's good at. Um, but but I appreciate that he was getting everyone involved. Uh, so I think my takeaway on Grayson Allen is um, I think he's going to be the best player on the floor in every game we play, again, except maybe when we play Michigan State, Miles Bridges, perhaps. And look, we don't know how other players will develop and things like that. Jason, and such, but Jason, uh, Grayson Allen's not even the preseason ACC Player of the Year, according to the ACC media. So uh, uh, when, when Duke I'm plays Notre aware. Dame, when Duke plays Notre Dame, Bonzi Colson might be better. I'm very aware of what the media says. I am saying this is Jason Evans, and I know better than they do. <laughs> I think Grayson Allen will be the best player on the floor. Um, like I say, virtually every game we play this year, maybe Miles Bridges, maybe Bonzi Colson, but that's going to be about it. And and having the best player on the floor um, is always a good thing. Uh, and and Duke's going to have that that wonderful luxury this year. Um, all right, before I get into more of my stuff, um, I, I cut you off, Sam. You were about to start on Gary Trent, who is sort of the other big star of this game. Yeah. Go, go ahead. Give us your Gary Trent stuff. So, so Gary Trent, I think that we're going to see this a lot this year where where different guys shine. Uh, in different moments, and Gary Trent certainly showed it the other night. Most importantly, um, he was making shots from outside. He had he had a few three pointers. He also had some longer twos that hopefully he will just step back and turn into threes. But looked very comfortable shooting. And I think we said what 
you know, the, the, the kind of other general comment would be about the big men. I'm, I, I want to let Donald talk about the big men, but I will say that I, I think that it's important for us to look at Allen and Trent playing well in this game because we have to caveat any time we're commenting on big man performance against overmatched, oversized, you know, undersized teams. Yeah, and you know what? Like, let's start with the fact that they're they're very athletic, and we we've talked about this. The word athletic has come out of our mouths a lot over the last few episodes when we're talking about the big man and just the team in general. This team is athletic, and you can tell where that is most, especially on the glass. We had fifty-one rebounds, twelve of them offensive, and it really means that these guys, you know, even if they're missing, they're very active, going to the glass, they're trying to get rebounds, they're trying to create something inside. But what really, like, you balance that with the fact that these guys are very, very smooth with the ball. You know, uh, Marvin Bagley III had 16 points and six rebounds. And his, he was six for 10 from the floor. But it didn't seem like he – there was times where he kind of took the game and was like, you could tell, okay, this kid's going to be great. It didn't feel like he dominated anything. But that's not to say that he didn't do that. Because inside, you know, with his passing, with his just moving around the court to create space for other guys – you know, he was very, very good at being the man on the side with, you know, and Grayson Allen and, and Gary Trent was having the show on the outside and him and Wendell Carter Jr. were just dominating people inside. Wendell Carter Jr., I don't know if you guys remember at the end of the first half. Oh, that was he vicious. At, he he oh. grabbed the ball over some guy and then, like, I, I blinked for a second and just all of a sudden, like, that one blink, he's above the rim and he just – I. Don't know how he didn't come down with the entire roof of Cameron on on top of him because he destroyed that dunk. Uh, I, I but took that's a note. What you want to see? Yeah. I took a note about Wendell Carter's dunk um, here in my in my show notes. I wrote Wendell Carter uh, a fun dunk, and then underneath I wrote Justin Robinson another fun dunk. Yes. Oh yeah, that was fun too, and, and you could tell <laughs> the team was really into that one. So I thought there was something about Wendell Carter Carter's dunk at the end of the first half. Uh, and it seems silly to read too much into one dunk or anything like that. But to me, that was the kind of powerful and explosive slam dunk that I don't, you don't see a lot out of Duke players. Yeah. Um, I, I, I it, to me, it, it, this is going to be sort of weird and people can be like, what are you talking about? That, <clears throat> that kind of felt to me like a Kentucky dunk. And, um, I, you know, not that I've necessarily put a ton of thought into this over the course of time, but, um, Duke's big men are usually a little more skilled and maybe a little less explosive. Um, and, and that felt explosive. Now, Carter is incredibly skilled. I mean, he, he went outside and he hit a three-pointer. I thought he passed the ball really, really well. He, looked, he moved like a gazelle um, all over the floor. And, and he showed a number of really, really nice moves in the post. So make the mistake about it. Dude is skilled, but that was explosive in a way that I just don't feel like you see all that much. I mean, look, Jalil Okafor wasn't explosive like that. Brandon Ingram certainly wasn't. Jason Tatum certainly wasn't. I guess Harry Giles could have been, but he was injured. We never saw it. Marcus Bolden isn't, ex you know, Mar sorry, Marquise Bolden. I, I was corrected on his, uh, on his pronunciation of his name. Uh, Marquise Bolden isn't explosive like that. I, I have to go the, the Plumleys, I don't not really. I mean, you have to go back a ways. I'm not even sure. Carlos Boozer? I, I well, I, I think that Miles Plumley had that kind of explosiveness. He just wasn't skilled enough, probably, with the basketball to And Okafor showed that at times. It wasn't 
the whole season, but there were times where he would throw down dunks like that and just kind of, you know, yell. And, and it was, you know, him and Winslow kind of had that, that, you know, singe where they both wanted to be emphatic with some of their dunks at key moments to kind of like, you know, kind of motivate the team. Does Carlos Boozer yell? I've never, never seen that before. Carlos Boozer did that <laughs> He was a yeller. Carlos um, a screamer. But here's the thing. Like, I, I want to say with that dunk, I wouldn't call that Kentuckian uh, the dunk. I would call that an announcement dunk. Uh, I mean, if you think about it, like Wendell Carter Jr. is one of the most talented players in this class. He's what number? I think he was number three or four um, yeah. until um, basically number one, number two, wherever you want to call it, until Bagley reclassified. You have him and they have a couple other guys. But he that was an announcement dunk. That was announcing to the world, hey, guys, I'm here, too. And if he's the third option on this in this offense or the fourth option in this offense, holy crap. That's awesome because he is a talented, a very talented player, and he, he made himself known at, at different aspects of this game as well. What I want to say finally before I kick it back to you, Jason, I think between Bagley and Carter, what I see between those two guys better, and, and even Delorier, you know, when he was in the game, he had nine points and seven boards. He was very active as well. But what I see between those three guys is they have a tendency and they 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 have the wherewithal to know where each other are on the court at all times. And they work well together. Their fluidity where, you know, Carter will flow out to the, to the wing and Bagley will move it to, to the high post, low post. The way that they move together as post as big men in the post is something that we haven't had in a long time between two guys. And I think that is what's going to be really effective for us with our interior defense and our interior offense, because if those guys are gelling together and can, and can flow in and out of the basketball court at, you know, with at will, these guys are going to assert themselves wherever they want. And it's really going to affect our team for the good. I want to talk a little bit deeper down the bench. um, Cause I think a really interesting rotational kind of, thing happened in this game that is absolutely notable and and look overmatched opponent we were clearly going to win by a big big number um so so maybe i'm reading too much into it and and coach k clearly tried to to get you know he got everybody minutes and and folks got time but um uh, a couple things became abundantly clear to me one is there's no question that javin delorier is our seventh man and i think he's he's gonna he's very close to being our sixth man um I was incredibly impressed with the energy that he brought to the table. He, when he's in the game, he gets all the rebounds. All the rebounds belong to Javin. And, Every single um, one. Like, yeah. it, it was, it's a point where, you know how we, we talked about how some people just use their minutes and just kind of dominate for a minute? Like, there is nobody getting any loose ball or any rebound when number 12 is on the court. I think that's awesome. I think that's what's going to keep him on the court. He is the definition of an energy player, um, and and God, I mean, I, I love having a guy like that on your team. You know, come in for five minutes and be everywhere, all over the floor, and the opposing team is like seeing fourteen of you blocking shots, altering shots, grabbing tons of rebounds. And by the way, if you're open for a wide open three pointer, go ahead and take it because you can make it. Um, I love that out of Delorier, and I think there's there's no question in my mind that this kid's going to get. You know, I don't know if it's eight, if it's 10, if it's 12, maybe it's as much as 15. He's going to play every game. He's going to be a significant player for us. And, and I, I really like 
the lineup, the the athleticism that Duke puts out there with their big men. When you you know we have Delorier and Carter and Bagley on the floor together at the same time. Like if I'm an opposing team, I'm like, how how am I getting any boards at all against these guys? I think um, that the I think that the the best thing about that lineup. Well, like we we had mentioned before about the possibility of three big lineup, and it really you know you you have to identify which guys are going to be able to play sort of out of position when when they're on the court like in those in those lineups and i think that one of the keys we saw on friday was that bagley and carter both took three pointers and and were comfortable making them we know delorier can do that and we know delorier can can play the three on defense um and i didn't think that outside of bolden i didn't think that any of the other bigs looked uncomfortable guarding on the perimeter so I, I think it's totally reasonable looking ahead. And I know, Jason, you want to, you're, you're going to want to uh, get me to commit to a low minutes number for Jordan Goldwire. I think that the fact that all those guys can step out and make those shots, those big guys, means that the, the three big lineup is something that we will see, maybe not for long periods of time, but that we could see for, you know, two, three minutes a game. I think I have the perfect analogy. Uh, oh, wait, 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 wait. Hold on, hold on. We got to go back on that. Two, three minutes a game. You're going to see, if you consider Delorier a big, which I think you should, you're going to see yeah, Carter. You're going to see three of Delorier, Carter, Bagley, and Bolden in the game. I'll, I'll go a minimum of 20 minutes a game. We're going nah, to see. What, what, do, do, do you want to have this right now? Because I, cause I, 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 I pulled up some stats, Jason. I got some stats. Um, uh, not, not, not a ton, but do you want to hear something that I looked up? Go ahead. Go ahead. All right. So as it pertains to the minutes distribution, the um, recent successful Duke team that I think looks like this team in terms, not in terms of their style of play, but in terms of size is 2010, where um, Duke had three, you know, heavy minutes perimeter players. That was Shire, Smith, and, and, uh, and Singler. Um, those guys got the lion's share of the minutes on the perimeter. And then Duke had four big men who were rotating in and out. Towards the end of the season, Zubek and Thomas were playing most of the minutes uh, right, the, down low. Plumley brothers barely played late in the season, but yes, but no. They, I, I, but for most of the season, the Plumleys the Plumleys were in there a lot, both of them. Um, and and I think that uh, the it's kind of the comparison to this team um, is that we do have a number of bigs who can play, um, and that if Duke has the ability to have the three perimeter guys stay out there for a long time, which I think that all of Allen, Trent, and Duval can. Um, Coach K is going to let them play. So I'm, I'm not going to be surprised if Grayson Allen is averaging 38 minutes a game and then Trent and, and Duval are averaging close to, to 35. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily going to be the case, but Andre Dawkins only at, in that season that where we think about Duke having a short bench, especially on the perimeter, Andre Dawkins was the, was the, the super sub for all the perimeter players. He only played 12 minutes a game. He only logged 477 minutes for the season. Um, so I think that, you know, whether we're talking about Goldwire or we're talking about having the three big lineup, I think that Coach K is going to be more comfortable having Trent Carter and, uh, or sorry, um, Trent Allen and, and Duvall out there for most of the game, as long as they can, you know, handle the, the workload and don't get in foul trouble. Well, you have taken us on the cusp of what we're going to discuss next week, folks, a preview of next week. Next week is our predictions week. 
Yeah, so I, will, I, yeah. And, 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 and I, I, I intended that. I want, I want people to, be, to know where I stand on this before we get there because um, we've done this episode in the past. Um, a couple years ago, I introduced it uh, without telling you guys. I was just like doing a, I made you all do uh, like points and rebounds and minutes predictions without, without giving you time to prepare, which was fun, uh, as I recall. I think we had a good time. Yes. But yeah. But, but so next week when we do that, we'll be uh, we'll be more prepared for it. I think we're going to do it similar to the way we did last year. Um, you know, had, writing down all the bets and stuff. But yeah, looking ahead, just to echo echo you, Jason. Um, next week is 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 kind of the big season preview because we'll have all of the preseason out of the way, and we'll be looking ahead to the to the first weekend of games. They're not games against major opponents, but they are regular season games that count towards the stats. Yes, and we'll be making all our predictions next week. But, we, uh, you know, as a result of us talking about that, we got off track from something I wanted to bring up. All right, um, go ahead. <laughs> so I, we talked about Delorier. I, I think, is clearly our seventh man and, and may even play as much as, as Marquise Bolden, who, I, again, l- l- brief sidetrack here. Bolden still needs a lot of work. Um, he has moments, but it still kind of seems to me like the game's maybe moving a little too fast for him. Um, he's not as skilled and, and as comfortable either with post moves or with the ball in his hands as the other bigs are. Um, he's, I don't think he's quite using his length as well as I would hope. Um, look, I, I, I'm not down on him. Um, not, not really down on him. And I think he's going to be a very valuable player for us. And there'll be, there'll be games where guys get in foul trouble and Marquise is going to be, um, is going to be really useful. And I think he can be a, a defensive force. Um, but, uh, but I, he's, I just don't, he, he's not, he's not anywhere close to where Carter and Bagley are at this point in terms of skill and in terms of confidence, um, I think that and, the, the and his energy, the, his energy isn't close to Delorier. Go, go ahead. Certainly. Yeah. I, I, I definitely agree with the last point about his energy and that is important. I think for getting minutes, it's a hard thing to, to quantify for him, but you can tell by watching him. I think that the the best moment he had in this game was when he backed down the one defender and just ISOed him right, right to the basket. Um, yeah. But, yeah. But, but he had, but he had that guy by about six inches and, and maybe 40 pounds. So um, <laughs> he's, he's not going to be able to do that against, against bigger players. And, and I'm, I'm with you, Jason. I'm not sure. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Delorier ends up ahead of him in the rotation, especially if coach K does decide to get a little bit more creative with, um, playing three big men all at the same time. Yeah. All right. So, so now finally we keep on getting diverted and I'm the one who does the diverting. It's my fault. I'm finally going to get to the guy who I think is going to be our eighth man. Um, I, I, it's Jordan Goldwire, um, who, uh, in the, you know, two weeks ago, if you'd said to me that Jordan Goldwire was going to play less than 10 minutes on the entire season, I would have said, yep, yep. Not 10 minutes per game, 10 minutes total on the entire season. This is a kid who, was not recruited really, um, you know, by any other Power Five conference school. I don't think. Um, certainly, you know, not in a big way. He he didn't get a lot of D one offers. Um, the presumption was that Duke was bringing him in um, mostly as a practice player. Uh, you know, to be a deep, deep, deep on the bench point guard who would sort of run the scout team in practice or something like that. That there was no way this guy was going to play for us. And and um, Jordan Goldwire is at least based on this first exhibition game is in the rotation and he's in the rotation ahead of Alex O'Connell and ahead of Jordan Tucker and ahead of, you know, uh, all the, these other guys are on the bench. He's, he's, uh, you know, ahead of Rankovic. He's ahead of Jack White. He's ahead of Justin Robinson. 
Um, Jordan Goldwire um, is the only one of those bench guys other than Bolden and, De- and Delorier who, who actively played with the other starters. Alex O'Connell had a couple minutes at the very, very end of the first half. Duke was leading by more than 20 points. And Alex O'Connell again had a couple minutes when, you know, when, um, uh, the first, you know, eight or 10 minutes of the second half when Duke still had their starters in the game. But um, uh, Goldwire was more in the rotation. He played more than O'Connell did with the main starters. And it absolutely looked to me like, you know, every minute that Trevon Duvall is not on the floor is a minute that Jordan Goldwire is. Do, do you guys, and, and by the way, I thought Goldwire again played very good defense. You know, again, he's hustling around the floor, um, you know, doing a doing a nice job. He didn't score. Who cares? That's not his role. Uh, do you guys disagree with me? Donald, I'll put it to you. Uh, is is Jordan Goldwire our eighth man? And how shocked are you at that? Uh, I'm not really shocked based on, you know, what I've seen in the open practice. Uh, I guess the open scrimmage that they had a few weeks ago uh, and countdown to craziness. I'm not entirely shocked, but I think it's a good thing because, you know, like like we said last week, he proves every single time we see him that he belongs on the court with these other guys. And when you have that factor, then you can't, I mean, he's going to move up the ranks a little bit further. I, I agree with you. I think Deloria is eventually going to be our sixth man um, off the bench, but I think jo- uh, Goldwire is going to have that opportunity to be one of those, uh, one of the first, um, the first guards off the bench. And, and just the fact that he can, you know, he really can play defense. He can flow well in the offense. He can pick and choose where he needs to be. He can rebound. I mean, he got five rebounds. He didn't have a good, he only attempted one shot, but I don't think you can take that and say, you know, he didn't belong on the court because every, the, every minute that he was on the court, there was no, Hey, Jordan Goldwire needs to go. He did very, very well, I think. And I think that's, you know, would you see that find that gold or find that gym, you know, hidden, that guy that probably, you know, people thought was not going to get that much playing time, and now he's going to be our eighth, seventh man, that's incredible. And I think that's only going to make everyone else pick up their game. That's going to make our team better. We There's one significant player we haven't spoken about yet. Um, and uh, to some extent, he's the guy who's still a little bit of an enigma, um, and, and that's Trevon Duvall. This is a kid, he's the number one rated point guard um, freshman, you know, recruit in, in college basketball. Uh, this kid was supposed to come in and, and absolutely, you know, light things up. This, this is a guy who a lot of people were talking about as a lottery pick, you know, one and done lottery pick. And, uh, you know, he, he is an incredibly explosive athlete. He has great court vision, but it feels like he's still trying to figure out how to play point guard at this level. And his shot is just not, he is not a good shooter yet. Um, and I think his confidence isn't there, you know, not by a long shot, at least not yet. Um, but I mean, athletic freak, absolutely athletic freak. Um, and, and, you know, once he gets more experience, I think he's going to be scary, scary good. But, uh, uh, Sam, let me, let me toss it to you on Trevon Duval. What were your impressions of him from the, from what we've seen so far? And I, I don't watch a lot of recruiting videos or anything like that. I'm kind of surprised that he, is such a point that he's a point guard um, and that he hasn't um, kind of turned more into like a swing man. Uh, he is, he is a little bigger. Uh, he, like you said, he's very athletic and, um, and it, it, it's sort of a weird thing. I would say that relating back to your 
stance on Jordan Goldwire. Um, the 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 one scenario where I could see where I think he he gets a lot of minutes is where um, Duval doesn't turn into a point guard who can play thirty plus minutes a game in the ACC because as we saw last year, Grayson Allen isn't super great at playing point guard. Um, he can do it in in very limited bursts and and he he has some of that skill set but not all of it and he's definitely better when um, he's given the opportunity to create off the ball. So um, if Goldwire is the only one who who can back up for a significant portion of the of the game, can back up point guard, um, then yeah, he could get those minutes. And and so far, I think that that's maybe the strongest thing that is in support of Goldwire's minutes is Duvall not looking like the 35 minute uh, a game player. Um, but I think that we're going to see him progress very quickly. I think that um, you know, he's, he's probably still getting used to playing with all these guys. Um, and it's not just him who had that problem. I think, um, Marvin Bagley had a, had a couple of weird miscues with the ball that turned into turnovers early in the game. Um, so these guys are probably all just f- still figuring each other out that the, the spacing, I think the other thing that you can watch that's, that shows their youth is the spacing on the, um, on the runouts and on the, on the fast breaks, um, you know, I think experienced teams, especially when they when they're experienced together, can feed off of everybody else and know where every what lanes everybody likes to take when they're on the fast break. There were a lot of times on Friday where not just Duval but but other freshmen were kind of running into each other or running into the same lanes, and Allen was kind of directing traffic around there. Um, you'll see that improve, I think, throughout the season, especially given how well this team's going to rebound and then hopefully make those outlet passes and have fast breaks. Yeah, well, and 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 I would say about Duval that um, you know, despite the fact that I think his his shot doesn't look great, um, he is fabulous at taking the ball to the hole. Um, he m- pushes the ball up the floor really, really fast, which you were just pointing out. I mean, when Duke gets rebounds, you get it in his hands, you're in an instant fast break. He's one of these point guards who gets the ball up the floor very, very quickly, which is going to be fabulous with Duke having a ton of guys who can finish above the rim. Duval being one of them, but you know uh, other players as well. And and then the other thing to note about him is, I mean, look in this game, he had five assists and only one turnover. I'll take a five to one assist to turnover ratio out of my point guard all day long. <laughs> you know, if he can't hit three pointers, if that's the one bad thing we're going to say about him, oh, he's not really taking a lot of shots from the outside. If he's doing everything else the point guard's supposed to do, which so far he is, I'll take that. Put that in my back pocket, and I'll be perfectly happy about it. So uh, one other thing I want to do before we wrap up everything on the exhibition, this was exhibition number one. Next week, we have exhibition number two, and, and I'll credit Sam. This was Sam's idea. So Sam, I'm going to come to you first. Sam, I want to hear from you as we wrap up our exhibition stuff. What is the one thing you're looking for Duke to do? What is one thing you're looking to see differently in exhibition number two versus what we saw in exhibition number one? I think you hit on it with, with Trayvon Duvall. I want to see... Uh, I want to see better passing. I want to see better ball control and, and going back, you know, kind of into that same discussion, better ball control overall from all the guys I want. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not as concerned about the bench minutes. I think that we, we will see the bench guys a lot, but it's really more important that the top seven, eight guys get comfortable playing together. And, and like I said, the, the, the ways you can tell that they are comfortable with each other are the ways that, they they play on fast break and then and then how well they take care of the ball, particularly when they're passing. And we didn't see that against Northwest Missouri State. Uh, I hope that we get to see it against Bowie. I think it's Bowie who we're playing this week or Bowie State. 
Um, it is Blue State. Blue State. Uh, I, I, I want to see that going forward. Um, I think that a huge factor for this team is going to be turnovers because um, the inexperience is going to uh, is going to force them into into tough situations. And once you get to ACC season, there are so many teams, you know, teams like Virginia, Louisville, who play really tough defense, Miami, um, that that will force those turnovers. And and if they keep being light with the ball the way they were this week, um, that could be a, a problem spot for this team. Donald, uh, on to you. What 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 are you hoping to see in exhibition number two that we haven't seen in exhibition number one? Well, I was going to touch on the turnovers uh, like Sam did. So I will talk about uh, the fact that I'd like to see us shoot a little bit better from the outside. You know, we were eight for 24 from three-point land. And we've talked about how our team is not going to be a really good shooting team. We're going to focus more on the inside. But I think that balance still needs to be there. Um, we, we need to make some of those threes so that it really gives the defense an honest effort and stretches them out. That's going to help our interior offense as well. So. Uh, I'd like to see us shoot a little bit better in, in, you know, in addition to everything that Sam said, uh, because I think if we can do that, if we can really start getting that down and getting confidence uh, from our outside shots, that's really going to make our defense or our offense that much more potent. So I'm going to go on the other side of the ball. There's some things I want to see us on do on defense. First of all, from a defensive statistical standpoint, not that stats are the best way to measure defense because they aren't, but Duke only had three steals in this game. Um, and uh, I'd, I'd really like to see us turn up the pressure um, and, and, and cover guys in a way that, that generates a few more steals, um, more fast break opportunities. And uh, the other thing that stuck out to me in this game. Hey, Jason, I, yeah. I have a question for you about the steals because I think, it's a, I think it is a good metric to look at. Do you think that Duke is going to get more of those opportunities at at point guard or or like among the bigs because Duval I think has all that athleticism. I think that the bigs look a lot um they, they look a lot more comfortable in their defensive role so far than Duval does. Uh yes. Yeah, I think that I think that is I think that's definitely true. I mean, you, you know, you you raised this caveat at the very beginning of this conversation uh regarding the bigs. Look, it's it's easy for Bagley and Carter and and Bolden and the such to to feel comfortable defensively in these games because they're playing against guys that are, you know, three, four, five, six inches shorter than they are. Um, uh, when you play these Division two teams, the biggest disparity is the size and strength of the big men. Um, and and so our bigs are going to feel comfortable because they're playing against guys who are massively uh, uh, smaller and at a lower level. Um, to some extent, uh, the, the you know the 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 guards, uh, Justin Pitts, um, who, who I thought Duvall did a great job on, Justin Pitts of Northwest Missouri State is the defending Division II player of the year at, at, at guard, at point guard. Um, he is Northwest, he's probably the best player in Division II basketball, and he's a point guard. Um, so Duvall was matched up with a guy who absolutely is a, a, a really strong um, player versus uh duke's big men were really playing against guys who who don't have a prayer of competing at the division one kind of level and by the way it's worth noting that duvall forced pitts into a a, a terrible game i mean this is a guy who averaged like 25 28 points a game i think forget something like that last year against duke he only had seven points on three of 14 shooting 
but I want to get back to what I was, I, I, I mentioned steals and I didn't want to get hung up on steals. The, the stat that to me was the most concerning, and you're going to laugh, this is going to seem kind of weird. Uh, it's that Northwest Missouri State um, shot so poorly from the field. Um, and I don't think that was on Duke's defense. I think that Northwest Missouri State missed a lot of open shots. And so the thing I'm looking to see from Duke next game is that we close out better. We don't leave guys open on the perimeter quite as much. I mean, look, in the first half, Northwest Missouri State probably missed at least six or seven three-pointers where they were wide open. I mean, they had a guy, he was able to get his feet set, get a good look at the rim, and then he missed the three-pointer. And, um, you know, I know a lot of that was Duke was helping in the lane when when Pitts was driving um, so that he wouldn't get a good look. Uh, and, and that was a sound defensive strategy. Makes a lot of sense, and I'm glad that we did that. But at the same time, in the second scrimmage, I re- sorry, second exhibition, I really want to see Duke do a better job of not giving up wide open shots. I'm not saying we would have lost this game, but if we'd played a better team, if we'd played a team that hit more of their, you know, wide open three pointers, it could have been far, far more competitive. And and that's something that I'm really hoping we'll see as a difference as the Duke defense gets a little bit better um, uh, as we advance toward the season. Defense to me is going to be a really, really important thing for these guys. I think that you saw um, in this game too many, and and it's kind of another way of phrasing what you just said, too many instances of Duke defenders lunging at Northwest Missouri State players who were launching threes over their outstretched arms. and. And against a Division II opponent, maybe that, you know, it's fine because they're not expected to make as many of those. But when, once they get into the meat of their schedule, they have to keep those guys covered. Yeah, and, and the other point about that is, um, and you saw Grayson Allen did this toward the very, very beginning of the game. He was open on the wing, and he gave a little pump fake, and his defender flew past him because he thought Grayson was going to take a three, and Grayson went in and, and got a, a, a layup instead. Um, and Northwest Missouri State never really attempted to do that at all against a legitimate D1 opponent. You're going to see teams do that. If Duke is lunging at them, if Duke is scrambling to cover a three-point guy, he's going to give you a little pump fake and then go around you, and suddenly Duke's going to be in a really bad position on a defensive standpoint, potentially giving up a a really short-range kind of shot, um, a really high-percentage shot by the opposition. I think we've pretty much wrapped up everything we can say about this exhibition. The only thing I would add is there are going to be people who say, how did you guys not talk more about Gary Trent? Gary Trent was awesome in this game. His mid-range jumper is a thing of beauty. I'm I'm a little afraid because that's a he he takes a very low percentage shot from the standpoint of what the the guys who do metrics and things like that would say. Um, advanced baseball uh, basketball metrics say that Gary Trent is taking a shot he shouldn't be taking, but he made a heck of a lot of them. So, folks, I just want to make sure no one's upset. We talked about Gary Trent, and he was great. I think it was it was interesting that Gerald Henderson was in the booth because I see a lot of similarity in their games, especially when it comes to attempting to to use that mid range jumper as a uh, as a weapon, you know, on a regular basis. This podcast is brought to you by O six Duke grad Dave Olverson. Dave recently moved from New York City back to Durham and is enjoying the amazing food that Durham has to offer. A small sample of his favorites include ramen at Dashi, authentic Italian at Gocianili, 
and his absolute favorite, the Salt Box, which is a shack that serves seafood that comes fresh from the Carolina coast. If you have any questions about life in Durham, you can email Dave at DurhamDaveDBR at gmail.com. Thank you, Dave, for sponsoring this podcast. And, and I want to add, I think it is so cool. Not only is Dave a great guy for sponsoring the podcast, and, and again, we thank him for that, but the fact that he wants to encourage folks to move back to Durham is just a really cool message, and, and it, it's just a fabulous thing. And Dave, we, we really appreciate what you're doing for us and what you're doing for the city of Durham as well. Okay, gentlemen, we are done with basketball, and we're going to move on really quickly to football. Um, ugh, this is not a subject I'm looking forward to talking about. <laughs> uh, the Blue Devils played Virginia Tech over the weekend. It, it is worth noting that this Virginia Tech team is really, really good. They are now 7-1. and one. Um, they're, uh, they're, they're knocking on the door of the top 10 nationally, and they, they look like they belong in that kind of conversation. And Virginia Tech is, is clearly angling for – um, uh, a shot at Clemson in the ACC championship game. And I, I think that, you know, they probably, Virginia Tech probably thinks there's still a chance that they could make the college football national championship. If not, they're certainly looking at a, a high profile bowl game. So the Blue Devils went down 24 to three. I'm not sure if it was even that close. Um, Virginia Tech had a couple times they went for it on fourth down and didn't make it. If, if they had made those plays, I think that it could have been an even uglier uh, uh, final score in this game. But, um, Donald, I'll go to you first. Any comments on football? And, and let me start the conversation with, with this. Actually, before I go to you, I'll start with this. So Duke has three games left. We need to win two of them to make it to bowl eligibility. We play at Army. We then play Georgia Tech at home. Then we play at Wake Forest. And, and the question I'm going to ask you guys is, do you all see two more wins for Duke um, uh, in those three games. And, and before you answer, I'm, I'm just going to give you this dose of reality. Um, uh, Jeff Sagarin, who, who does probably the best college football computer rankings around, or, or at least the ones that have been around the longest, Jeff Sagarin says that Duke will be an underdog in all three of those games. Um, his rankings say that Duke is about a five or six point underdog at Army. We're about a 17 point underdog to Georgia Tech, even though the game is at home. And um, against Wake Forest, who's a team that you would have thought Duke would have a good chance against. They haven't been that good in a while. Um, Jeff Sagarin says that Wake is the second best team in the ACC Atlantic division. He says that uh, Wake should beat Duke by about 20 points. So with that dose of bad news, Donald, do we have a prayer of winning two games and making it to bowl eligibility? Well, I, I think the best part of our season is going to be this weekend. Um, we are not playing. Um, because that is what I think this team really needs to kind of say, look, this is a three-game season now. We have to narrow it down, and we have to win two of them to become bowl eligible. Do I see it? I'm going to remain positive and say yes. Uh, I'm going to say that we, we shock Army, and I, I'm going to say we shock Wake. And I, I'm not – don't ask me what scientific rationale I got to get to those two, um, but I'm just going to say positivity is what's going to keep me – hoping that this team will rebound, use the bye week to really hone on the basics, get back to the specifics of the, the offense that w was so great at the beginning of the season, uh, or at least was, was capable in the defense that was really great at the beginning of the season. If we could get back to those elements, I think we have two wins left in us. Uh, but we really need to use this bye week this weekend to really, really 
get back to those bare basics, to get back to the, the Duke gang football that we've seen, uh, that we saw in September. If we can bring September into November, we're going to get two wins out of these three games. But if not, uh, we're going to be at home watching, uh, watching bowl games uh, without Duke in them. All right, Sam, your turn. You got two wins in you? I've got one win over Army and a really good APR score that gets Duke a final bowl spot at five and seven. Is that? Is that <laughs> hey, man, that, that counts. That counts. I, I, uh, I, I'm not necessarily confident about any of these games. Um, in addition to Sagarin, which, which is also a, a, which is a good ranking system, um, I also enjoy the Football Outsiders uh, S&P Plus uh, rankings, which I think uh, SB Nation's Bill Connolly does. And Duke is ranked well below all of their uh, remaining opponents. But I think that they can steal one from Army. And um, I think Donald really hit on it. it it's the offense is, is what's really struggling. I think that the defense um, is, is defense has issues in ways that uh, overmatched opponents normally have, you know, the, the receivers are a lot bigger than our corners. Um, I think that our, our, our corners fields made a couple of really nice plays against Virginia tech, but the Virginia Tech team is going to score 24 points on Duke. It's a matter of Duke being able to keep up, and and they continue week after week to have uh, trouble converting in the red zone, whether it's um, getting touchdowns or or kind of making the right calls. I find myself this year, and I, 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 I really would have liked to kind of look more deeply at this. I find myself this year questioning more the play calling, the offensive play calling, especially in the red zone. I think that they you think you think yeah. well well relative relative to years past um and and i know that uh zach roper is a relatively new offensive coordinator um it, it, it's so confounding and i and i we said a few weeks ago the 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 weird thing about this duke team is that um coach cutcliffe seems to still love using the connect package with quentin harris and it's just it's not that effective um and i think that it's doing a lot more harm than it is good and and that 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 really hurts us when they're in those those scoring opportunities. They're they're not getting touchdowns when when they're they're close. Uh, they're giving up turnovers. They're they're getting sacked. Uh, it, it's just the offense is such a mess, and I don't know I don't know which playmaker I think is going to emerge to to be better um, to to take more of the lion's share. And it, it it's tough um, because they because we did expect a lot out of the out of the passing game this year, and it just hasn't materialized. I will go back to the guy I've spoken about all season long. I don't understand why Britton Brown can't get playing time. I, I, Britton Brown had two carries against Virginia Tech. Two carries. This is a guy who, I swear, when he touches the ball, good things tend to happen. And we just don't get him the ball at all. I was sure he was hurt. I'll be honest, you know, the way his playing time, he was sort of splitting touches with Sean Wilson a few weeks ago when Duke was doing better on offense and, and gradually Wilson's been getting more and more and Brown's been getting less and less. Although I shouldn't say Wilson's been getting more and more. It's that Wilson still, still sort of still gets about the same or close to the same that he was getting earlier in the year and Brown's getting less and less. Duke's just, Duke's abandoned the run game to some extent um, uh, thus far, you know, the past several weeks, I don't know why, but that's just what Zach Roper has chosen to do. I guess Zach Roper's smarter than all the rest of us. 
But uh, I don't understand why Britton Brown isn't playing. And I thought maybe he was hurt. I thought he had to be injured. And I spoke to a couple of folks who would know about these things. And they've assured me that he's not hurt at all. And, and they also said the same thing I did. Uh, you know, they are utterly flummoxed. They don't understand why Britton Brown isn't playing more. Um, it doesn't make any sense. Our offense is broken. And I've said that like four or five weeks in a row now. Um, our offense is broken. We only gave up 24 points to Virginia Tech, and that's not, it's not that bad. And, but the offense scored three. Three. I mean, um, look at, you, you want a great example? Boston College beat Florida State 35-3 to this weekend. Um, why, why did Duke only score 10 points against Florida State? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. BC's, BC's better than Florida State. <laughs> Well, but but no but but you're but you're right. I mean, this Virginia Tech's a good defensive team. I mean, not that that's an excuse for only getting three points, but Virginia Tech at least is a good defensive team. Duke's played bad defensive teams, and we haven't scored. Right. Um, it, we're yeah, uh, it, it's 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 broken. The passing game especially is broken. The run game we're not going to. We're not using very much. And the guy that I think could be part of the answer is not Britton Brown is not getting the ball. Um, so. Uh, you know, I don't know if there's anything more we need to say. I, I, as as much as I'd love to be optimistic, I will be the guy who is the dose of reality. Maybe Army, maybe Army, but the game's at Army. But we're not beating Georgia Tech or Wake Forest. We're just not beating either one of those teams. I don't think so. And it's not just because Jeff Sagarin says we're going to be more than a two-touchdown underdog in both those games. I've seen both of them play, and they're better than Duke. Um if if we win two out of our next three, it's because something fundamentally changed during the off week and we found something that has been missing because the team that we've rolled out there the past several weeks is not winning another game this year. Okay, I'm sorry that was such a downer. <laughs> I'm sorry that the football commentary, for, especially from me, was so depressing. But... We're going to uh, hopefully leave on a better note. It's time for parting shots. Um, I hope you guys have something good because I've actually got my parting shots aren't that wonderful. They're sort of sad as well. But um, I'll go to Donald first. Donald, what you got for me as a parting shot? Well, I'd like to send a shout out to the Duke women's soccer team who. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, has, yeah. They, this, one. this one. Look, this team is ridiculous. OK, uh, they won their 17th straight game. They started, they lost the first game of the season and since then have gone on a tear 17 straight games, including the entire ACC. And they captured their first ever conference title or their first conference title since 2011, their first regular season one. They beat number 10 Virginia a couple days ago, uh, one nothing and won the regular season championship trophy. Congratulations, women. Look, if you guys have not seen these, this, these guys, these women play, they are phenomenal. And I, I'm really proud of the fact that this team has just – they've been really the team that no one really talks about uh, during the season. They talk about UNC. They talk about Virginia. They're not talking about Duke. And this Duke team is really, really good. Um, it sets up very well for the ACC tournament and the NCAA tournament. But Duke women, take a bow. You guys are regular season conference champions, and it's very well-deserved. That's a great one. I'm so glad you mentioned them. Uh, I, I, I'll admit that I hadn't paid much attention. but. 17 wins in a row. I, I noticed that. And uh, yeah, they, they, what they've done is truly, truly, truly special. Sam, what's your parting shot? Uh, I have, I'm going to a couple of Duke games in November. So uh, the first one being the aforementioned Army 
basketball or a football game rather uh, at West Point. I'm very excited uh, to have check you ever that been out. to a game I, at West Point? Have you ever been I to West Point? Say, I have been to games at the other two service academies, uh, both of which were experiences I recommend, and I'm very excited to to finally check off the the third, which is which is West Point. Um, so I'm really excited about that. I'm going up there to New York for that weekend. Um, we're taking the we're taking the ferry from Manhattan to go to the game, which I guess is a is a is a cool thing that people do. So um, if you're at the game, uh, say hi. And then um, a few days later, I'm actually I just <laughs> realized this week that I could uh, fly to Chicago for the Champions Classic. Um, so I'm going uh, actually with a with a friend of mine who's a big Michigan State fan uh, to the Champions Classic to see Duke play Michigan State and Kansas play Kentucky, uh, which I think is going to be an excellent night of basketball early in the season. Well, according to the preseason polls, that's the number one and two teams and the number three and four teams playing each other. So I'd say that's a that's a good way to start off the college basketball season. Pretty good. So I'll I'll be there. And uh, and uh, I don't know, maybe we can maybe we can figure out something I can do um, for the podcast while I'm while I'm out there. I don't know. I could live stream something or or uh, I, I don't know. Uh, make you know what? Throw suggestions in the uh, in the in the thread for this week. If there if you think that there's something fun we could do for the podcast for you know, for this game, because I because I'm going to such a hope high profile game, but also maybe um, games in the future uh, that, that we could we could do fun activities for the podcast. I think whatever you do has to involve you eating an entire Chicago deep dish pizza. Uh, <laughs> I. Here's the no, thing. don't actually do that. Just have I a slice. Do it. I could do it. <laughs> I've come close before. Russia this is fun. not. This is not something unless you know the size, like, oh, I ate an eight inch or a 12 inch or a 16 or a 20, you know, yeah, I mean, uh, it depends on the size of the pizza as to whether also, or not this is actually I'm doable. Also, I'm also flying back to Denver, like first thing the next morning to go back to work on Wednesday. So, um, yeah, it could be, could be problematic, but, uh, but keep brainstorming. So, gentlemen, it's time for my parting shot, um, and and I I wish I didn't have to do this one, but I, but I do because I, I I want everyone to know about these guys. Um, there are two really great Duke fans, um, folks who've been a part of the DBR for a long, long time, and they they sort of need your prayers and your thoughts for healing. Um, James Armstrong. Uh, anyone who doesn't know James Armstrong doesn't know about Duke as an online community. James wrote the original code for the DBR many, many years ago. He's the guy who wrote the code for the boards for the first Duke forum many, many years ago. Uh, you know, just a, an incredible Duke fan. There's someone who's been involved with the DBR for a long, long, long time. Uh, James needs a kidney transplant. Um, he's had several extended stays in the hospital recently. Um, he's, he's in a big fight with his insurance company because they're limiting the places he can go to get his transplant. Um, and I just want everyone, you know, have him in your thoughts and prayers. Uh, if you're someone who could maybe help him with the insurance thing, or if you want to donate a kidney, I don't know, um, feel free to reach out to us at dbrpodcast at gmail.com, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. And we'll get you in touch with James. Um, even if you just want to Send him a note um, to wish him well uh, as, as he's, he's you know, going through a, a, a tough battle. Uh, like I said, he needs a kidney. And then the other one, this is a little bit better. Al Featherston, uh, Feather, who has written about Duke for many publications. He's, he's authored two books on Duke Hoops, and he is a frequent 
loved uh, contributor to the DBR, um, to the main page. He's also on the forums. I'm not going to get into his he has sort of a secret name on the forums, and, and I'm not going to get into that. I don't want to give away his identity. But um, Al is a, as good a Duke fan in terms of communicating with the rest of the Duke community as there is out there. Um, and some folks noticed that Al hadn't been around the forums and hadn't been writing as much lately as they'd expected. And, and they asked, and so I reached out to Al, and, and I found out that um, he had heart bypass surgery fairly recently. But he's doing well now. He says his recovery is going great. Um, he's not in Durham at the moment, but he expects to be back in Durham and back attending games, going to Duke games in just a couple of weeks by mid-November or so. Um, Al, I just want to say we, we miss you. We miss your contributions to the boards. We miss your contributions to the DBR. And we, we can't wait to read your always really smart, brilliant insights again. Um, and uh, and, and you're, you and James both are a major reason why so many of us come to the DBR and why we have gone online and found a home with other Duke fans. Um, and, and we wouldn't be here without guys like both of you. So um, wishing both of you uh, all of our prayers as, as you guys um, heal from, from some tough um, health stuff. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I mean, Al's also a friend of the podcast. He, he recorded uh, an interview with us uh, way back. I, I don't know how long, maybe about a year ago. Um, that he was on uh, the podcast, but uh, we, we wish both of them well. We hope you guys get well soon and uh, looking forward to have you, having you guys back uh, around, you know, back in the trenches with us. Absolutely, absolutely. So folks, that's going to wrap it up for us here on the DBR podcast, the Duke Basketball Report podcast for this week for episode number 90. By the way, if you love this podcast, Please rate us on iTunes. Go to iTunes. We know there are thousands of you who listen every week, which is kind of amazing, but there are thousands of you who listen, so we need to have thousands of ratings on iTunes. It, it helps us out with, with search results on iTunes. It helps our reputation on iTunes. And, and so if you love the podcast, please rate us on iTunes. If you don't love the podcast, if you have any complaints, please email us. Email us at dbrpodcast at gmail.com. And by the way, if you're interested in being a sponsor, we heard about Dave, who sponsored us this week. We're so thankful to him. If you want, if you have a message that you want to send out to other Duke fans, email us at dbrpodcast at gmail.com. We're, we're happy to take new sponsors on board. We're happy to get your message out there, just like we did with Dave and the way he's encouraging folks to come move to Durham, which is a, a great, great community. But that's it for this week's edition of the show, um, episode number 90 in the books, episode 91 coming up at you very, very soon. And 91 will be the prediction episode as we will give our thoughts on the upcoming Duke basketball season. That's it for me. I'm Jason Evans for Sam Klein and Donald Wine. We want to thank you so much for joining us. And Duke Band, it's your turn. Take us home. home.